You're listening to an Axe Church sermon. If you haven't heard of Axe Church before, we are a church in Camas, Washington. You can check us out at axecamas.org. You can see what we're about and what we're up to. We're glad you're listening today and hope you enjoy this sermon. So today, as you know, we've been doing this series, uh, Dear Skeptic, for I think we've had five weeks of it, and this is it. This is the capstone day of it. It's our hot seat Sunday. So I don't actually have a seat. It'll be a hot stand Sunday. Um, but this is where you're going to get the opportunity to ask anything you want to ask about the Bible, about uh, philosophy, theology, questions that skeptics would ask, social issues, uh, you know, anything you want to ask. I'm not saying I'll answer anything, but you may ask whatever you want to ask. And I will choose the ones that I think I can answer within the amount of time that we have. What you're going to do, if you put my number up there on the screen... This is to be used for this purpose only and not for these kids. I can see them doing things that I would have done when I was a kid. So um, that's the number. Text, start texting your questions in. And I'm going to, because I'm going to talk for a little while and give you time to think and text your questions in. Uh, And then as soon as I start getting them, I'm going to start answering questions. And so that's that's our thing. If you don't text any questions in, I guess we'll be watching football earlier today, which may not be a bad thing. Um, but first, I want to talk for a little bit. Um, my mom makes a lot of cookies. She makes a lot of cookies, and I love cookies. You probably could tell that if you were watching me try to get up on to the stage. Um, <laughs> around Christmas, my mom used to have like an open house at our house and she'd invite all the people in the church and she'd make something like 8,000 cookies and they would be, and there was like 4,000 varieties of cookies. I, I may be exaggerating, but this is what I remember as a kid. There were a lot of cookies and then she'd have all these people come over to our house and eat my cookies that she had made, which is why I had a hard time with the church for a long time. Um, no, I'm kidding. If you're really nice to her, maybe she'll do that for Axe Church this Christmas. I don't know. Um, she's going to be so mad at me. Uh, <laughs> love you, mom. Cookies. Um, so I'd never be able to convince her myself, but the rest of you might be able to. Um, so one of the types of cookies she used to make was like this long, thin cookie. It was kind of the color of sand. It had like frost on top. It was a very good cookie. It's kind of like this shape. And, and I used to love that cookie along with so many of the other cookies. Um, but when we were younger, my sister and I uh, would sometimes, she's like two years older than me, a little less than two years older than me, and I'm like three years older than my brother, Daniel, who some of you know. And so we would, from time to time, my sister and I would, would gang up on him and, and mess with him. Um, you're probably starting to figure out why last week's story about him throwing a Bible in my face happened. Uh, because, yeah, we weren't the nicest people always to, you all had little brothers, you know what that's like, okay? Um, stop judging me. But anyway... We were not always nice to him, and, and we were uh, outside, and, and we were sort of thinking, and, and we walked by the sandbox. Um, and now some of you uh, have, had a sandbox when you were a kid. I had a sandbox. We had like a Tonka truck. It was made out of, you know, back when toys were made out of like steel, and they, you could leave them outside and ran them, and they last forever, and it's probably still sitting there in the sandbox as opposed to stuff I bought for my kids that wore out in like a week. Um, but that's what we had. we go out there in the sandbox and, and do all that kind of stuff, but I don't know if you know this, but cats, they don't play with Tonka trucks. They do other things in sandboxes. And so we were by the sandbox or in the sandbox or whatever it was, and we noticed that a cat had come and left a little treat in the sandbox, okay? It left these uh, several long cat turds in the sandbox, and there they were. And so my sister and I, we saw these cat turds, and we hatched a plan to mess with my brother, Daniel. Yeah, this is going to be good. She already knows it's going to be good. Now, I told you that my mom would make these long, kind of sand-colored, thin cookies, right? Um, this is, this is going to be great. Come on. We thought to ourselves, why not try to get Daniel to eat a cat turd, right? Um, and so, so one of us, I don't remember if it was her or I, went into the house, and we got a cookie sheet. Because if something's on a cookie sheet, it must be a cookie, right? We figure that's what he would think. And so we get this cookie sheet, and then we come back, and we take these little cat turds, and we roll them in the sand. So they get, they're all covered in sand, and then we put them, place them on the, you know, in rows on the cookie sheet. And we go and we find my brother. And we say, <laughs> we say, Daniel, we got mom made some cookies for us. Did you want a cookie? Now, here, here was the problem. This was not the first time that we had messed with Daniel, 
And we never went and found him when, you know, mom had made cookies. We would have eaten them all before he could get there. So he's automatically suspicious because he's a pretty smart kid. Automatically suspicious. Well, okay, what are they doing here, right? So he comes over and he, and he looks at our, at our cookie sheet with our cookies on it. And he says, I'll pass. I'm not going to try the cookies, right? Probably because he knew that we were stinkers and, and that we weren't very nice. So our plan didn't work. So that you don't have to get too grossed out. Uh, it did not work. He did not eat any of our Sandy Cat turds on a cookie sheet, which is too bad because they weren't that bad. Um, they were, I'm kidding. What are you going to do? We were in our 20s, okay? So we're young. Um, no, we weren't. We were like seven. Um, but there's a point here, okay? There's a point about why I'm telling you this story. Why do we do this stuff, this skeptics, uh, you know, dear skeptics, skeptics forum, seeking skeptics, all these ones that we do every year. Why do we do this? The reason uh, that we do this, that we answer these questions about God and faith and the Bible and Jesus and the resurrection, all that, the reason that we do this is because there are so many voices in the world, so many voices that are trying to gain your attention, especially the younger you are. They're trying to gain your attention, and there are philosophies, and there are worldviews, and they're, and they're saying, come, buy into this, listen to this, you know, base your life on this, whatever it is, another religion, atheism, agnosticism, scientism, postmodernism, post-postmodernism, I could go on and on and on. And they're all saying, come here and listen to me. Come here, and, 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 we, want to, and we want you to live your life this way. And the problem with a lot of those philosophies, with most of those philosophies, is that they're basically sandy cat turds on a tray. Okay, they're, they're, there's nothing to them. They might look good from far away. They might look like, oh, that looks like one of those cookies that mom makes, but it's not. And there's no nutrition and your breath will stink if you eat one, right? Intellectually speaking, right? They're, they're worthless. And so part of what we're doing as we're walking through these things is we're trying to show the truth about different worldviews and different things that people think and show which ones are just going to hurt you, which ones we can just kind of brush the sand off and say, that's just a cat turd. There's nothing there for you. And at the same time, we answer the objections of those who object to the truth claims of Jesus Christ. And so we spend our time doing that because we know in our hearts and in our minds as Christ followers that he is real, that God is real. That, he, that justice and hope and peace and love are real. And that they're not just figments of people's imaginations, not just things that we make up, and they're not subjective, right? We know that there is a real hope. We know that we need help. We need help as people. We know, that we, know, we know that we're special. Somehow we know that. And yet we know that we're sort of helpless and that we've kind of messed up and that there's a problem. And that there, if there is a God, that we're in trouble, and it's important to us through what we're doing in these, in these skeptics, answering these skeptic questions, is to help you know that you're not alone. God has not left you alone. This is not a world of random chance and accident that you just have to go through until someday, by, in some way or another, you happen to die and then disappear into nothingness. That there is something real about who you are. That your body, soul, and spirit, that you are made to be eternal. That you're going to be around for a long time, like forever. And that you want to be around for a long time, like forever, with God who loves you and not separated from him. And that's incredibly important to us. Incredibly important to us. And there's so many good questions that skeptics ask that we want to make sure that we're answering that. So there's nothing that's standing between you and the God who loves you. That there's nothing that would get in the way of you and the God who loves you. No intellectual uh, objection, no complaint. You know, why, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, my, my question is, why do any good things happen to bad people, which is all of us, right? And yet there's so much of that. And, and we, 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 try to, we try to go and answer these things. And the, but the reason is not because we like to do philosophy or we like to argue or something like that. The reason is we're trying to clear the baggage out of the way that some people have intellectually, so that there's nothing between them and Jesus. So that at the end of the day, they will find Jesus. Because myself and the elders and the, and the deacons and the, all the people at Acts Church, we love Jesus. We love you. Whoever you are, wherever you've come from, this is your first time, this is your 20th time, whoever's listening to this online, whatever it is, we love you. But nothing like the amount that Jesus loves you. 
And it's important that you understand that there is a Jesus, that there is a God, that we are eternal, that, that uh, all of these things that we're talking about have to be answered. And so we've spent the time answering those questions for you, not just so that you would know who Jesus is, but so that you would know him, that he would know you, that he would feed you and clothe you and make you clean and holy and ultimately give you that opportunity to be part of his body, the body of Christ, his church, because we found it to be such an amazing thing in our own lives. To know the joy of being in one accord with your brothers and sisters in Christ is an amazing thing. There is no other full, true joy in this life except for Jesus Christ. Every other joy that you have as a Christ follower flows from that joy that you have in God. You, you before, before knowing God, you may have those, those joys, those stabs of joy that you have, but they're nothing like the joy and the fullness and the peace that comes from knowing him. And so the reason that we do all that we've done is to get anything that's in your way, out of your way. And I, and I kind of plead with people that as you think through these things, for those of you who are skeptics, and we invite that, we want that. We want you to ask the questions. We want you to, to engage. We want you to think. We want you to, to come to your own conclusions. But we, we, just, we, we don't want anything to be in the way of you and Jesus. And so we just ask that you be honest with yourself. Just honest. If, if you've had questions and you've been provided answers, don't come up with new questions and new questions and new questions and push this thing away forever. Don't run from Jesus forever. I know that if you're hearing this, it's because Christ has called you to be here today or to be listening online or whatever it is. And that in being here and in listening online and whatever, he's trying to call you to himself. And so I'd ask you because I've seen it too many times where no matter what you answer, the person just keeps moving those goalposts, keeps moving the prize. Don't. Don't run from Christ. Because someday we're going to get the opportunity, those of us who follow Christ, to see him face to face. We're saved and redeemed and renewed and justified and clean. And one day, all of this stuff that's rough in life is going to go away. In Revelation 21, 2 through 5, it says this. It says, Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Listen. Those words are true and faithful. Last week, we talked about the prophecy in the Bible. There's all this prophecy in Scripture that's come true, that's come to fruition, that's been, that they said a hundred years ago, and it became true. It happened. This is also a prophecy, and let me just tell you, it's going to be proven true. It's going to come true. And if you have not taken that step in your life to repent, and all repent means is you were going this way and you recognized the, that that way just leads to death, that that way just leads to pain, that way just leads to difficulty, and you turn around and you come towards Jesus. If you haven't done that in your life, you're not going to experience this. Instead, you're going to experience separation. You're going to go in the direction that you already headed in, which is to death. And we don't want that. We want you to have true life in Jesus Christ because he does make all things new. He's done it for me. He's done it for so many of the people sitting in this room. And we want him to do it for you. That's why we talk about philosophy and science and history and prophecy and the Bible and the reality of resurrection, all these things. That's why we talk about those things, because it's real. If there's anything I can get across to you is that this is not a game. This is not something we come and do because we like to be in a club and people happen to like to be together. It makes them feel better. We're here because this is real. Because Jesus is real. Because God is real. Because Jesus rose from the dead. And that's true. Because Jesus loves you, and that's true. Because Jesus can save you, and that's true. We want that for you. And you can talk to me, or probably most of the people sitting around you right now, or if you're listening to this online, or something you can call into the church, and we can explain to you what it looks like to repent, to turn towards Jesus Christ, and to give your life to him, to believe on him for life. And I hope that ultimately, as a result of listening to these messages, that there's some of you that God's been calling closer to himself and that you've been able to lay down some of these objections and come to know and serve him. So, 
That's why we have done this. This will be the last day for Dear Skeptic for this year. Next year, we'll probably do it again, although I don't make any guarantees. But next week is also an important week, and I want to just take a couple minutes to tell you about that. Next week, we are going to, as you, some of you know, we've merged together two churches recently. And when you merge two churches together, you know, you have a plan, and there's a lot that it takes to sort of execute that plan. But what can very easily happen is that we can sort of lose track of sort of the mission and the vision of the church and who we are and who we are together and where we're going and what we're doing. And I want to make sure that we are on the same page. What's going on here? What, are, what is the church doing? What are the different, the different things that we have to offer to this body? What are the things that we're doing out in the community? What are the things that we're doing in missions? What are, where are we going? What's the next year going to look like? All of that. You know, and so this next Sunday, we're going to talk about all that. We're also going to have an opportunity. If, you, if you're not in a life group, we're going to have the life group leaders and hosts. They're going to be out here. We're going to be able to sign up for life groups. We're really going to get connected and ready to push forward towards the end of this year and into the next year, Lord willing. So do not miss next week. Do not miss next week. If there's a week that you're going to miss, pick a week where someone else is preaching. But don't. Don't miss next week, okay? Um, because next week is going to be a, a really, really important time for us as a family, as the body of Christ. If you're new, this is your first time, whatever it is, and you're interested in being part of something that's going somewhere that's doing something, come next week and hear about who we are and what we're doing. All right, I'm going to check and see what kind of questions we've gotten. First question, oh, this is a lot of them. Wow, I could do it all on just this one thing. Glenn says, why didn't God make me taller? Um, oh, I'm sorry, that wasn't Glenn. Um, I'm kidding. Am I a bad Christian for having questions concerning the Bible? Am I a bad Christian for having questions? So I think this, this question comes from a place that's very fair because I think for a long time, I, I grew up in the church when I was young. We had kind of a difficult pastor at the time. It's my dad. He's here. I'm kidding. It wasn't that difficult. Um, and there was certainly in the culture of church, not necessarily in the church that I was going to, but in the culture of church, there was certainly kind of a, a spirit of don't ask questions. If you ask questions, it means that your faith isn't strong enough, right? that you aren't, you, you aren't really in. You're not really serious about this because you have doubts. Let me just settle something for everybody right now. That's just nonsense. That's just complete nonsense. You are going to, if you don't have any doubts, I have a serious doubt as to whether you've read the Bible. I'll just be honest with you. There's stuff that's hard to work through that you have to, I mean, I regularly when I'm doing my, my daily Bible reading and so on, I'm running into something there where I'm like, I got to go get some commentaries out and figure out exactly what's going on there. I forgot that that was there and that, and that's hard to reconcile with this and whatever. And I go through the process and I understand it. But in that moment, when I see it, I'm like, what, what is that? What is it talking about? Right? And so the idea that you're not supposed to have any doubts or that you should feel bad if you do, that's nonsense completely, completely okay for you to wonder or have questions or even have doubts at some level about the Bible, about what, what, you know, all of these kinds of things. Now, when I, let me be clear about what I mean by doubts. I don't mean that you reject God. I don't mean that you say, well, it's all not true until somebody can prove it's all true to me again. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about those moments where you're like, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I, if I understand the reasons why I believe these things right this second or why I believe this thing or that thing. That's why we do this. We do this to help you become stronger so that you can give a reason, a defense for your faith, a defense for the hope that is within you. There's absolutely nothing wrong with having questions about the Bible. If you don't have questions about the Bible, I'm sorry, but honestly, you probably just haven't read it. And so I would encourage, if you don't have questions about the Bible, start reading your Bible, okay? Because you should. You should have questions. There should be things that, if you can understand everything in Scripture that thousands of scholars for thousands of years have struggled with some of this stuff and had to work through it. Not in a way that makes us doubt who God is or doubt his plan or doubt any of that kind of stuff, but there's stuff in there that's complicated and difficult where there are multiple ideas about how, what exactly that passage might mean and so on. It's a, in the Psalms it talks about, or the Proverbs, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of kings to seek it out. And there's this idea that, there, that God has made Scripture something that we have to wrestle with in general, kind of like every relationship you have. 
If you've got a relationship with somebody, if you're married or you have a friend or whatever, part of what makes that relationship grow is sort of that rubbing against each other and, and, moving, and moving forward and trying to understand who this person is and struggling with those times. I think God has, has given us that in Scripture at some level so that we'll do that. If you never wonder about anything, it's all super easy. It can be very easy for God to just be this thing over here. But if you've, got to, if you've got to be serious and believe that this is alive and living, that his word is truth, then you've got to come in and when something doesn't make sense, you've got to wrestle with it. And you've got to get in there with God and you've got to figure it out. And so far from being a problem, having questions about God, not a problem. Not a problem. Uh, let's see, what else do we have? Is there a purgatory or just heaven and hell? Good question. So purgatory is a doctrine. Mostly, I'm not sure if anyone other than the Catholic Church uh, puts that doctrine forward. And essentially, the idea, just to give you the very, very simple um, idea of purgatory is, it would be a place that would be in between. Okay, so you die, you know, um, you know, Sammy dies, and they, you know, she's got a few things that still need to get worked out, right? Doesn't have it all figured out, so we send Sammy to purgatory. And it's not very comfortable, but we're going to kind of burn out some of the issues with Sammy before she's ready to go up to heaven, right? For Sammy, that may be true. I don't know. But, but no, I, I do not believe, I don't believe that scripturally there's good evidence or reason to believe that there's anything called purgatory. In fact, the idea that there would be anything left for you to deal with as far as sin was concerned seems to me to be completely anti-scriptural. When you are in Christ, when you, have, when you have come to him, when you have believed on him, when you have asked him to forgive your sins, the cross was sufficient to do that at that moment, and it's sufficient to do that forever. It's done. There's nothing left for you. There's no, you are not a person who was made for wrath. It's not like you're going to die and that there's going to be all this other you know, sin that you still got to sort of make up for. There's nothing making up for it. Christ paid for it. Now, having said that, there is no question scripturally the time of reward and loss of reward. Okay? So when we are before the Bema seat, right? When we're before Jesus and he's judging, he's not going to judge you about whether you're going to heaven or hell if you're in Christ. That's done. But there will be a level of what have you done with the things that I gave you? What'd you do with the money that I gave you? What'd you do with the time that I gave you? What'd you do with the family that I gave you? What'd you do with the job that I gave you? What'd you do with the intelligence that I gave you? What'd you do with the ability to play an instrument that I gave you? What'd you do with whatever? Those questions are going to be asked just like the parable of the talents, right? One had five, one had three, and one had one, right? And, and they, they all came back and they had done different things. And one of them had just buried the talent in the ground. And they had to come before the Lord. And he's, and he's not real happy with the one that buried it in the ground. So you don't want to be that person. Not because you won't be in heaven, but because there will be rewards and loss of rewards. But that's not purgatory. So no. The simple answer is no, I don't believe in purgatory. I don't think it's biblical. The Pope and I could have that conversation if he wants to. Give him my number. It's on the screen. Um, <laughs> if God knew we were going to sin anyway, why did he create us with the intention of us being perfect with him in the Garden of Eden? See, that's a good question. And I'm not going to answer it. Okay, no, I will. <laughs> God created us with the intention of being perfect. Uh, let's say this. God created us to be perfect. He created us good because he creates what's good. He would have, his design or his will would have been for us to be perfect. But... We weren't. And, of course, he knew that we wouldn't be, right? People struggle a lot with this one. And, I, and, and the, the easiest way I've ever been able to deal with it is to say, look, have, has anybody had a kid? Any of you have children? Yeah, a few of you? I know you have. I've seen your kids. They're, <laughs> they're a gong show. Um, you, you know, they're, they're great kids. Every one of your kids is wonderful, um, as are mine. I, you know, we had children, and, it, and at all times, it would be our desire that they'd be perfect. And at all times, we knew from the very beginning that they wouldn't be, right? That they were going to be beings with their own will. And that beings with their own will were going to do their own thing. And we knew that they would say mean things to us, reject us, you know, especially in those teenage years. Not that my children would ever do anything like that, but some people's children, 
some people's kids. You knew that that was possible, right? You knew that it was possible that that, that child would, would be difficult. Certainly they were going to do dumb things. They were going to steal the cookies. They were going to try to feed their brother cat turds on a cookie sheet, right? Because that's what kids do. Or maybe I'm the only one. You could be a, I may be fired after this for doing that. I don't know. Um, we, we know that, right? In the same way God knew that the people that he created perfectly, he also created with a will. And that in order to experience any kind of relationship, both parties have to have a will. Even my dogs have a will. I've got one of them, Lewis, who's just the sweetest dog in the world, and he just comes up and he'll just put his head right on your leg if you have food. And he'll just like this, and he's just so sweet. The other dog, Austin, Tiffany's dog, She's not here, so I can. Uh, Austin is a real turd. Like, he doesn't, he's got his own will, and he doesn't want to come up to me, and he doesn't want to. Like, even, even dogs have some level of a will. Certainly human beings do, and God knew that because if the, I wouldn't experience as much love from the dog if, it wasn't, if I didn't know that he also had the option to go run away or to go whatever that he wants to come and hang out with me means something to me, right? Or else I would just get a stuffed dog, Right? If I, if I just wanted the dog to do whatever I wanted it to do all the time, I'd just get a stuffed dog, and I could pet it, and I could do whatever I wanted with it, and I could, or a robot dog, whatever, right? But God didn't make you to be that way. You're not a robot. You have a will. And so you have two things that can happen as a result of that. You can experience true, dynamic, amazing, incredible love, and you can sin. Both have to be able to, be, to occur. And so while God would have, would have loved for you to stay perfect and, and, and created you with the ability to be perfect, and when I say you, I just mean human beings, right? When he first created Adam and Eve, they had the ability to be perfect, but they chose not to be. And in their choosing not to be, that's why we deal with all the rest of the stuff, but also why God was able to send his son, Jesus Christ, to die and redeem all of that. All right, so the story is much bigger than that. But that is why... Even knowing we were going to sin, he loved you so much. Because think about it. God's a really good chess player. He knows a lot more moves ahead than you do, like all of them. He knew that in creating human beings, he was going to have to go and suffer and die and let those same human beings kill him in order to save save them. He knew that at the same moment that he created people. And still he was willing to do it. That's how much he loved you. Not like, oh, man, they messed up, and now I'm going to have to go do this thing. No, he knew before he said go what it was going to cost him, and it was worth it to him. That's real love. That's right, Randy. Give it up for North Carolina Randy. There you go. All right, let's see what else we got here. Um, <laughs> uh, this, I said the D word. Is what it says. Am I going to hell? Um, sort of kidding, um, but why do people get hung up on language and not the heart? Uh, I have come up across many people that think there are so many rules that make us Christians, yet loving your neighbor as yourself is the greatest commandment. Why do we say to these people, what do we say to these people struggling with this? So I'm going to take, by the way, yes, if you've ever said a bad word, you're going to hell. That's for sure. <laughs> for sure. I'm kidding, obviously. Um, it's, it's interesting the level to which people who are believers, but it's not really just believers in Christ, you can find this in any group of people. This kind of, the, the idea of, of legalism, pharisaicalism, and so on, yes, we see it in Christianity, but you see it every, in everything. We see it, anything that you go look at, you're going to see it. Okay, any group of people are going to have their rules, and their rules are going to start to become more important than, than, this, than the spirit and the substance of the thing that they're trying to do. And so what happens is we get so wrapped up in the rules, right? And this is what it means to be a Christian. It started with, I love God. I love Jesus Christ. I'm humbled. I'm, 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 I'm torn apart by the love that Christ has shown me. I have so, so much love for him. And you didn't even know that half the things you were doing were like really bad. And then as you figure that out more and more, your life changed and you became more and more transformed to know Jesus. And then some, for some more people, somewhere in there, there's this thing that clicks over. And as they've done the self-discipline and whatever to follow Jesus more and more and to do the things they're supposed to do, they start to lift up the things that they're doing that they're supposed to do or the things they're not supposed to do that they're not doing as more important than that first thing that was there, that first love, that first incredible Jesus, I can't believe you saved me. 
Just this, I was, I was gone, I was dead. I was blind, now I see. And it's gone from that to, did you uh, get perfect attendance in Sunday school this year? Right? Did you make sure that you've never said a bad word? You didn't do that thing, did you? You didn't do that thing, did you? We don't do that. We're Christians. We don't do this and that. And it's like, okay, there's something to be said for living a holy life. Something very important to be said for living a holy life. But what happened to the love and loving your neighbor as yourself? And do, do you not remember who you are? And can you not turn that thing back at yourself and see that you've got issues too? Now, now let me explain something. There's nothing wrong at all with holding each other accountable especially and primarily in accountability relationships that are voluntary and mutual, okay? Drive-by accountability is generally not okay. If you don't know what drive-by accountability is, it looks something like this. I don't really know you very well, but you've done something that I don't like. I don't know the reasons why. I don't really know the context of it or whatever, but I come to you and say, you know, I noticed that you said such and such a word, or I noticed that you did such and such a thing, and, you know, uh, I was really offended by that, and blah, 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 right? You don't even know them. You don't know why it happened. You don't know whatever. You have no relationship. Or worse, you see that, and you don't go to them. You go to somebody else, and you say, did you know that so-and-so did such and such? And I thought she was a Christian. I mean, can you even believe it? Let's pray for her. It was just a prayer request. It's not gossip if it's a prayer request. Did you like that impression? Now you've got to figure out who I'm talking about. No. It was Glenn. Um, anyway. You can get caught up and wrapped up so easily in things. And I've been there. I don't know many Christians that haven't gone through some kind of a phase there's some who don't. There's some who just are never tempted by that, but who go through some sort of a phase where I think it has to do something with the fact that you're trying so hard to sort of you know, live your life for Christ and eventually you start to be, get some sort of pride in the things that you don't happen to do anymore. Of course, not paying attention at all to the things, the million things you still have to figure out, the million weaknesses that you still have that everyone's putting up with you about. And meanwhile, you start to think, boy, my cat turds don't stink. Right? So I would just say this, while accountability is important, it should be done. This is why we do life groups, to build those kinds of relationships where accountability can happen, where you can go to somebody and say, hey, listen, you know, I, I think you should stop smoking crack in front of the kids, you know? <laughs> this is an issue. I mean, this is, you know, we've we got to stop this, right? Um, I hope that's funny for most people. I'm like, well, I guess I should. Um, <laughs> but did you see what she did? Uh, anyway. There's a, there's a time and a place for that, right? And that should happen because, we, because we're called to live a holy life. But be very careful that your judgment is coming, is not, be careful there's no judgment in it. That's not your job. But be careful that you are not looking down on other people because they don't happen to be good at the things that you happen to be good at. When the truth is, they might be good at all the things that you don't happen to be good at. And they could be doing the same thing to you. And again, we come right back to, as, as the questioner asked, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Just be very, very careful about who you're judging. Be very, very careful about the judgments that you're making. And I would just say this as an attorney. That wasn't supposed to be funny. Um, but I, there's a lot of judgment for attorneys. Um, as someone who's seen stories come together, this person comes in and tells me their side of the story. That client comes in and tells that side of the story. I go into court and we start working it out. It's a completely different story. And then the truth is something else. As someone who's seen that, I've more and more come to the point in my life where I don't generally make judgments. And I don't generally take hearsay evidence of, did you hear that this happened? Did you hear that thing? That, that kind of thing. I, I tend, to, tend to stay away from those. Things. The more that you've seen how jacked up all that can be, the more grace that you're going to be able to have for other people and not assume things that are, that are bad. Because here's the other thing. On the, on the flip side of that, when you do that to people, it crushes them. Especially new believers who don't even know. There are, there are new believers who come to Christ and they've got, their life is an absolute disaster from the perspective of a mature believer. Well, of course, they just came to Christ. They don't even know. And people are like, can you even believe that? And so their first experience in church is, can you believe that that person's living with their boyfriend? They didn't even know. They just found Jesus. And you're, and you're wanting them to have somehow have instantly stopped every sin in their life and come and, you know, how about we disciple 
Heard that word? That's how it works, right? Do you know who's discipling them? Do you know what they looked like last year? Because there's some people, you know, can you believe what this person put on Facebook? I'm like, what was it? I look at it and I'm like, that's pretty good. Last year it would have been, you know, 14 F words and the picture would have had any clothes on. You know, (laughs) this isn't bad. This is pretty good. I think our church is doing a good job with this person, right? Because you don't know. You don't know where they came from, where they're going. So that's just a warning. And if you want people, you know, we spend all this time preaching the word. We spend all this time going through the philosophies and the, and, and the answers to the questions of the skeptic. But all of that will mean nothing. It will all go down the drain in a heartbeat if what they see is that your heart is one of judgment and harshness. If that's what they experience for people who claim to be Christ followers, it won't matter how much you've proven that Jesus Christ rose from the dead or that God is real. You're going to turn people away. And, and they're going to leave. And they're not going to come back. All right, let's see what we got next. What time is it? Oh, we're fine. We're fine. Um, sorry, it's a long one. Okay, this one's talking about people who struggle. This is more of like a kind of a church business one, but people who struggle where one spouse in the couple is giving a lot of their time to the church. And the other one is not able to give as much time um, or, or is sort of struggling with where they are in their faith or whatever and sort of the tension that causes and what should the one who is giving all this time to the church, what should their priority be? Should their priority be to their spouse or should their priority be to the church? I'll make this one really easy. Your priority goes God, spouse, church. You, you have to take care of your, your spouse. Okay. You, you are now I'm not saying you leave God because remember he was first God's first. Okay. But the, and church is incredibly important in, in to be in a relationship with, with Christ. You need to be part of his body and working within the context of the church. But some people sell out at a level that, that I, I appreciate because it's less work for me, but it's too much, right? Some people sell out to the church in such a way they're doing so much stuff and their other, and the other spouse is struggling. And instead of, and instead of helping bring this person, your other spouse into uh, a deep relationship with the Lord and whatever, you're spending all your time at the church and the, and the marriage is not is not strong. And so I would just say you have an obligation, husbands and wives, to mutually submit to each other, to mutually help each other move forward. Essentially, your, your job as a spouse is that one day you're going to present this person. You need them to be ready to be presented to Jesus Christ. It's a huge job. It's a huge job. And so you can't get yourself, you've got to take care of your family. You can't get yourself so, and I've, and I've, been in this place where you get so locked into ministry and be so busy in ministry. And it's like, you're doing stuff for the Lord. And at the, and meanwhile, my spouse and my kids are over here and they're not getting any of me because I've put so much of it over here. I can, I can tell you that I know because I've been through this, that it's wrong. It's wrong to do that. And so if anyone's struggling with that, you need to take care of your family. Yeah. Your, your responsibility from God has, is to your family first to your family first. And so I don't know if that answers your question, but that's all you're getting. All right, let's see. Um, Are we held accountable for the sins, actions, or deeds of the people we associate with if we don't tell them the error of their ways? So you're hanging out with somebody and they're just sinning away and you're not saying anything about it. Um, uh, let, me, let me approach this from a couple directions. The first one is this. Your friends, families, neighbors, whoever sin is not the main problem. It's a symptom of their problem, okay? Their main problem is they don't know Jesus. Their main problem is that they haven't been transformed in their heart to not want to do those things because of the incredible reckless love, as we sang earlier, of Christ. And they haven't experienced that yet. And so to be super wrapped up on, hey, did you know you shouldn't do this? And you know you shouldn't do that? I don't think that that's where I would be. But I would, I would ask the question differently. If you're around your friends all the time and they don't know that you love Jesus and you've never talked about who Jesus is and you haven't invited them to come be a part of the most important thing in your life, which is your relationship with Jesus Christ, your church, your family, all those things. If that's not part of what you've been doing to your friends, then 
Yes, I would say that that's a problem. I'd say that there's some accountability for that because you're called to make disciples. And so it's not so much that you need to tell them, well, you shouldn't have said that word or you shouldn't have gone to that movie or you shouldn't have, that's not the point. To, 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 to tittle-tattle on their, I don't even know what that word means, it sounds fun, on their, on their stuff, to rain on their, you know, their parade and, and whatever and tell them that all the things that they're doing are sinful. They don't even have a context for that if they don't know who Jesus is. There's not even a context for it. So I would say that your real responsibility is to point them to Jesus Christ and, and to let them know what he's done in your life and let that be the thing that changes their behavior. Not that it's not worth, you know, some things you should probably tell them, like the crack in front of the kids thing, you should say something about that. All right, does my desire for salvation, I'm sorry, does my desire for the salvation for my friends and family get God's attention? Much more than it has your attention. Yeah, if you're wondering whether God is paying attention to the fact that you really want your friends and your family saved, yes, because ultimately he loves them more than you do. He wants their salvation more than even you do. And so as you're praying, he's working. Now people have a will, right? People have a will, but God is working. God does care about your family and your friends that you care about getting saved for sure. All right, let's see here. I don't like confrontation. So it is very challenging for me to invite my family to church without a lot of pushback. How do I start to tackle this issue? Um, did they know that I'm here? I'm so nice. Again, I'm gonna take a couple, couple directions of this. One is this, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you are by definition in confrontation with the world. So just so you know. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you have to understand that, that, that Christ's, the, the, the truth claims of Christ, who he is and what he's done and, 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 and who God is, turns everything about the way most of the world works upside down. And so you are by your very nature at confrontation with the world. So there will be confrontation. There will be persecution. There will be difficulty in that. Now, what that persecution looks like, what that confrontation looks like, I don't think that you should be out seeking confrontation. I don't think that you should be a confrontational person, but you will have some. So ha but having said that, your family is much more likely to be, or your friends are much more likely to be attracted. Once you've invited them to church, you let them know with some regularity that that option is open. They're much more likely to be attracted by who God is making you than they are by just a simple invitation all the time. You know, or you ask them what it, what it is that they're looking for in life, or you connect with them at, at a deeper level. Instead of, instead of, hey, I need you to wholesale take the Bible and believe it all and believe in Jesus and whatever. How about, what are they really struggling with? You know, I, this is one of those ones where you just got to let the Holy Spirit move you. You got to let the Holy Spirit move you with people when you're, trying to, when you're trying to evangelize, when you're trying to make disciples for Christ. They're his disciples, and he, he'll give you whether this is the time to say you should come to church or not. You know, for a lot of you, you know what it feels like. Where you have that feeling like, I know I'm supposed to invite this person to church. I know I, I know I need to do it. I know that God wants me to do that. You know what that feels like, right? Do it when that time comes. And then there's times where maybe it's just you pushing it. And instead of that, maybe you just need to say, hey, is there something I can be praying for you about? Or can I tell you what, what just, what's been happening in my life and, 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 and the way that God's been working in my life? Like, is that going to offend you if I just kind of tell you what I feel like God has been doing for me? Because they need to be attracted to Christ, right? Not just coming to church because you made them do it. Now, having said that, make them do it, right? Because they can come here and get attracted to Christ too, but you're much more likely to draw them if they can see that it's changed you. Especially your family who knows who you were, right? They've read your mail. If they can see that Christ has changed your heart, they're much more likely to be drawn to church than confronting them about it or getting into a confrontational thing with them. All right, let's see what else we got. How do I respond when someone who isn't a believer tells me I'm fake, doesn't take me seriously, blows me off because I have tattoos and or piercings? And what is Acts Church view on tattoos, piercings in a religious way? Uh, some of your tattoos are ugly, right? I mean, they just, <laughs> to me, it's a purely an art thing, right? They're either, they either look good or they don't. You know, some of you need to, See Doug in the back. He can get you, right? Get him worked out. Um, uh, my issue on piercings and tattoos is be wise. 
and you just have to take it from there. I mean, my, when I was, an, you know, an attorney and I was sitting in court, somebody's going to get offended by this. Don't email me. I'm, I'm just kidding. Okay. But I would, we would sit there and we would judge whether or not as defendants were coming up and pleading not guilty or whatever, how guilty they were based on how close to the face their tattoo came. So, um, the closer to the face, like he's guilty. If they're like on the head, like the rebel flag across their head, guilty, right? Um, I'm kidding. But there is something to be said if you want a job, young people, for probably not tattooing something across the front of your face. So there's wisdom about tattooing, okay? Um, Piercings, the same thing. Uh, Look, uh, I don't think that that's the main thing in this world that God is real worked up about. Um, I think think we've got bigger problems than whether or not you put a butterfly tramp stamp on yourself, right? Just... (laughs) Let me tell you, that thing's forever, okay? Um, So keep that in mind because your body's not always going to look the same either. Mm -hmm. That butterfly's going to metamorphosize into something, okay? It didn't used to look like that. Um, I'm going to leave that one there. Uh, How do, I, how do I help a friend as a Christian dealing with severe anxiety and depression um, when I don't know how to approach it or understand everything? Um, that's, a, that's an interesting one. Um, this is an interesting topic, and we've done some talking on it. If you get a chance and you haven't heard Glenn's sermon from, what was it, February, March, Glenn? I don't remember when it was. But he did a sermon, um, specifically a message on anxiety and depression. Um, that's a resource worth listening to, worth looking at. It's on our Vimeo page. If you don't know how to get there, um, I don't know. Do we have a link to that or something? Uh, Anyway, Vimeo, go to Vimeo, V-I-M-E-O, and look up Acts Church. You can find that. We also did a podcast on it. If you go to our podcast channel, we did it on anxiety and depression. There's probably not more that I can say in this time than what we kind of handled there. So I'm going to kind of leave that one there, but those resources are there. It is complicated. It is difficult to understand. It is hard to counsel people through. It is. Um, But let me just tell you this. There's nothing to help anxiety, fear, shame, those kinds of issues, like knowing that God is for you. And like knowing that you can trust him. All all of those things, the the fear, the anxiety, the depression, the pain. there's, There's a song that we sing sometimes here, The Lion and the Lamb. And it says, who can stop the Lord Almighty? You know, you say, they sing that a few times at the bridge. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Listen, if you're struggling with those things, those are, those are the things that need to be in the front of your head, right? You need to read through the Psalms where the psalmist will talk about how, how God's got him, how, how he can be trusted, how your enemies cannot come against you when you're God. If God is for us, who can be against us? Right? And if you're, if you're dealing with anxiety, depression, and so on, it doesn't, there are physical aspects to that that are from the fall. Stuff that has to do with your brain chemistry and whatever. And there are feelings that are associated with that, okay? This is a medical thing. I am not a medical doctor. There are feelings that are associated with that. But, but as far as what's happening here, what's happening at the place of mind, at the place of soul, what's happening there, if, you're, if your heart is 100% focused on God and believing and trusting that he is who he says he is, you will make it. <laughs> you will make it through that day, through that time, through that difficulty. Focus on God, trust in him. Unfortunately, we're out of time. I have some more questions. Um, I'll either save them until next time or I'll answer them on one of our upcoming podcasts. That's probably what I'll do is our podcast this week. I will answer the rest of these questions if I like them. Um, I'm going to ask the band to come on up front here. And we are going to take communion. And as we do that, if you would just start to prepare your hearts, go ahead and start bringing that stuff up and passing it out while, we're, while I'm talking here. Start preparing your hearts for uh, what it means to remember Christ's sacrifices. I told you earlier on, everything that we're doing is about getting you to know Jesus Christ and to know him more and to experience the joy and the glory and the peace and the love and the hope that comes from him. And what we do when we take communion is we remember his sacrifice for us. He instituted this. Jesus Christ instituted this before 
his death for us on the cross, that we might remember him, that we might remember what he did for us. And so this is a solemn time as we engage in this symbol together. You should have your heart right before God. Make sure that you're not holding on to things. Make sure that if there's things that you've heard today that the Holy Spirit has, has hit you a little bit and said, hey, you've got this issue to work on. I want you to work on this, that you're repenting of that, that you're confessing and repenting and you're right with God as we take communion together because this is a solemn time of remembrance of who Jesus Christ is. And so we're going to let the band play here. And as this is passed out, in a couple minutes, we're going to have one of our elders come up and lead us in taking communion. Before we do that, let's pray. Father, thank you for all that you've done, Lord. I thank you that you've given us minds that we get to explore and know who you are and that we're not just robots. We're not just stuffed dogs that you, that you squeeze and hold, but we have no will of our own, but that yet we have been made for you and for love. And God, I am in love with you. And I pray that the people in this room would be in love with you. And that there would be nothing more important to us than you. And Lord, that you would be with our families and that you would help us to love you and that you would help us to grow as a family, as your church, as believers, as husbands and wives and fathers and mothers, as people, as citizens, Lord, that we would forget about all the things in the world that are going wrong, all the things that are out there and the 24-hour news cycle wants to tell us that that the world is all horrific when I know for a fact that you are still alive and active, that you are still working, that I still have joy and hope in you and in the people that are sitting around us. God, we love you. We love you. Be with those who are sick who couldn't be here today. Be with our elder, John, who's still recovering from cancer, Lord, that you've worked a miracle in his life. I pray that you continue that miracle, that we would see him back soon. I pray for those that we've lost. Lord, we love you. And we just ask that this week would be a week of joy, that as we move into this next Sunday, where we're going to talk about vision, Lord willing, We're going to talk about the mission of this church and who we are. We're going to grow together closer and start to get to know each other more. As we move forward, Lord, I just pray you would make that a blessed time. In your name, amen. Well, thanks for listening to our sermon. Again, this has been a sermon from Acts Church in Camas, Washington. We hope you enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. If you did, you can subscribe to our channel as well as liking and commenting. We love to hear how these sermons are impacting you. You can also take a look at our podcast series that we have out. And we'll catch you again next week.